1: What does motion sound like? With Kizikans Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizikcom slash socks. How's everybody doing out there? This is a very unexpected bonus episode. Got into a time crunch. Had to pull something off a of Patreon real quick to, uh, you know... Keep, keep some people happy I can't remember the original record date I think it was like 6-9 months ago something like that uh, I do hope the Patreon subscribers forgive me this does not happen at all I think it's happened like once before actually but if you do want to be a Patreon subscriber this is the kind of content that you usually get and it's $1 a month I will thank new Patreon subscribers and read reviews on the next episode I hope you guys enjoy this little bonus
0: October 27, 1993, the sheriff's office in Nevada County, California, receives a call from 23-year-old Terry Knorr. She had uh, told me that she had called authorities around the whole area. She felt they thought she was crazy because of the bizarre story she was telling. But Terry Knorr has a lot more to tell. All my life I've tried to put out of my mind what happened. I couldn't believe that it actually happened. Terry Noor tells police her sister Susan was shot and burned alive by their own mother, Teresa. Told the dispatch center that there was a body burning alongside the highway. Forensic experts determined gasoline had been poured on the victim. The coroner rules she was still alive when set on fire. I believe that Teresa Knorr was a truly evil person. No signs of any empathy towards anyone in the family structure. This is a woman without a soul. The beatings and torment continued. There were forced feedings and terrifying bedtime stories to keep her kids in line. Teresa believes that she was a good mother. She also, however, was very violent with them they were indoctrinated into this highly dysfunctional family and a way of living and it appeared was basically normal for them teresa noor had battered beaten and shot her daughter susan before nursing her back to health one minute she could be sweet and kind and then the next minute she she was this evil devil-like woman why on earth would any mother raise a child 17 years of age and then kill it and burn it she used them to help her to carry out the physical abuse that she wanted to carry out What kind of mother would do that? All
1: right. So this is a pretty graphic Patreon episode. Uh, I will say this when I undertook this, I didn't think anybody had covered it, but looking at some other podcasts, apparently it has been covered a couple times. So you can listen to this elsewhere. Uh, I will say this as well, like 90 fucking percent of this information is the same information found in all places. So i used wikipedia as like a, a skeleton and filled in all the blanks with extra details so hopefully i got some information in here that you have not previously heard on other podcasts as you guys know i'm really really weird about that shit so i will say this disclaimer if you cannot fucking handle a woman who just savagely beat her kids, prostituted two of them, uh ended up killing a couple of them then you are going to want to turn this the fuck off right now. And today we're going to be talking about Teresa Noor, alright? This woman is a fucking evil, savage fucking woman, alright? She... I don't even know what to think when I started undertaking this and started learning of some of the details, so without further ado... Teresa Noor was born in 1956 in Sacramento, California. She was, uh, the younger of two daughters born to Swanee Gay, uh, and James Cross, and he went by Jim. Swanee Cross was the, uh, he, she had a son and daughter from previous marriage, apparently. Uh, Jim Cross worked as an assistant cheesemaker at a, uh, at the Golden State Dairy in Sacramento. Swanee worked at a local timber company. Um he eventually saved up enough money to buy a house in Rio Linda, California. Now in the late 50s, he was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease which forced him to quit his job. He developed a pretty bad depression and started uh drinking pretty heavily. So it as it turns out there was uh, a lot of, be- of abuse going on. He was taking out his frustrations on the family, you know, and obviously Teresa being young uh, she experienced you know and saw a lot of this it probably wasn't good for her psyche at the end of the day Um, so Swanee Cross uh, and the oldest daughter which was Teresa's oldest sister uh, was named Rosemary um, they kept the family afloat financially Um, and Teresa and her mother became extremely extremely close and Teresa just got all of the attention, all right? So when Teresa was about 14 years old uh, on the way to the store, apparently her mother died of like a massive heart attack, and supposedly she died like right there in her arms. Uh, In March 1961, after that, uh, Jim was unable to pay for the family home, so he had to sell it. And this kind of messed with Teresa quite a bit as well, you know, not only losing her mother, but, you know, she apparently became very vulnerable and insecure from what I understand. Um, September 29th, 1962, at the age of 16, Teresa marries Clifford Clyde Sanders. He was about five years older than her, um... They had only been in a relationship or even met, for that matter, for about a few months. She immediately drops out of high school, and they move to a one-bedroom apartment, and she becomes pregnant. So on July 16th, 1963, she gives birth to the first child she had named Howard Clyde Sanders. Uh, the marriage with her and Clifford was a fucking shitty one. Okay. Teresa was extremely insecure and very, very possessive. Um, she kept him on a super short leash. She would always accuse him of cheating on her when he wasn't. And they were fucking arguing like all the time. Okay. So on June 22nd, 1964, Teresa claims that Sanders had punched her in the face during uh, an argument. So Teresa reported the incident to police, but refused to press charges against Sanders. And the charges were eventually dropped uh, about a week later on July 6th, 1964, which was the day after Sanders birthday, the couple get into an argument. Um, Sanders had spent his birthday out with his friends instead of at home. Now, during the argument, Sanders tells Teresa that he's leaving her. He said, you know, he's like, I cannot fucking take your shit anymore. I'm fucking leaving. So as he's walking out the door, she grabs a rifle and fucking shoots him in the back. Uh, she ends up killing him. Now, she gets arrested and charged with murder, okay? She pleaded not guilty, claiming she was acting in self-defense. Now, during her trial, uh, she was pregnant with her second child. And she claimed that she had shot Sanders because he, he was a violent alcoholic who physically abused her. Um, and the sad part is, like I said, he was shot in the back as he was walking out the door, okay? But she's standing there, you know, kind of pregnant. Yeah, she got the sympathy card pretty hard on this one. Now, it sucks because even Sanders' relatives testified that Sanders was not violent or abusive, while the prosecution claimed that Teresa killed Sanders maliciously and without provocation. Now, Teresa's own older sister, Rosemary, uh, also testified, stating that Teresa was possessive and jealous and, quote, would kill him before any other woman could have him, end quote. Teresa ended up getting acquitted of Sanders' murder on September 22nd, 1964. And a weird little fact about this, a little detail about this case, is the very next day when she got acquitted, she walked into the lawyer's office wanting her rifle back. Like, zero fucks given. She's like, give me my rifle back, that's my rifle. Like, nothing ever fucking happened, okay? So, on March 16th, 1965... Teresa gave birth to her second child, Sheila Gay Sanders. After Sheila's birth, uh, Teresa began drinking very heavily. Um, she regularly drank at the uh, the local American Legion Hall, where she met a guy named Estelle Lee Thornsberry, a disabled uh, U.S. Army veteran. The two began a relationship, eventually moved in together. During the relationship, Teresa would re- re- uh routinely leave her children with Thornsbury while she was out drinking and staying out at night you know for day or two at a time Thornsbury began to question her about it um and she like i said she was literally staying out for days at a time and the uh the re- relationship only lasted about a few months um after he found out that she was having an affair with his best friend now uh, Teresa began a relationship with a guy named Robert Knorr, who was Estelle's friend, uh, and she soon became pregnant, and the couple uh, married on July 9th, 1966. Now, on September 27th, 1966, Nor's third child, Susan Marlene Nor, was born, uh, and then on September 15th, 1967, William Robert Knorr was born. On December 31st, 1968, Robert Jr., uh, Robert Knorr Jr., was born. And then on August 5th, 1970, the youngest and last child, Teresa Marie Knorr, known as Terry, was born. Uh, Teresa and Robert Knorr Sr.'s marriage uh, deteriorated pretty quick. Uh, she was accusing her husband of having affairs, so he basically got tired of the shit, and he left her in June of 1971 and got ended up getting a divorce in 1972. Now, after the divorce, Robert Knorr attempted to see his children, but Teresa prevented him from doing so. In 1973, she married a railroad railroad worker named Robert Pulliam. Uh, The marriage fell apart when Noor began leaving her children with Pulliam while she stayed out all night drinking and partying. Um, In 1974, just a year later, he divorced her after he became convinced that she was having an affair. In August 1976, her final marriage to a man named Chester Harris, um, you know, that was, like I said, her final marriage, um, Norr's daughter, Susan, ended up growing really close to Harris, and it really made Teresa very, very jealous, okay? So, she filed for divorce from Harris in November of 1976, after she, reportedly found out that Harris enjoyed taking consensual nude photographs of women. How she didn't know that, first off, I'm not 100% sure. But this is when shit starts getting crazy, okay? So, she's a little bit older, she's drinking a lot, Teresa's gaining weight because of the drinking, um, and she's... Because she's drinking more, she's becoming very short tempered and she starts abusing the fuck out of her children. Now, not only is she mentally torturing them, she starts physically torturing them as well. Um, and she, at this point, she also becomes a recluse. She doesn't leave. Her house. She doesn't allow anybody to come over. She ended up disconnecting her phone. She would not have the ch- allow the children to have friends or visitors of any kind. And uh, the the oldest son Howard reportedly left home before they ended up moving to Sacramento, which they they moved into a small apartment there. According to the neighbors, the apartment was filthy and smelled like urine. Uh, neighbors also noticed that the children you know, seemed really fearful and really nervous, like, like, I'd hate to compare it to, like, an animal that you've seen abused, they're just very skittish, you know, and, and she would never let the kids really go outside, so the neighbors did notice some shit, now, they ended up calling, I know, at this point, like, uh, one of the neighbors ended up calling uh, child protective services and nothing ended up getting done about it. And of course, you can't go back and look at the files because apparently at this time in the state of California, they uh, would uh, destroy the files five years after whatever reports were made. So for the following years, uh, Nora would abuse and torture her kids in various ways and she would uh, she would beat them she would force feed them and one of the things that she would do to Susan you know, she, basically what's happening is she's extremely jealous of Susan and Sheila, because they're at their early teens, you know, mid-teens, they're starting to become attractive, and Teresa is extremely jealous because she's gaining weight, she's drinking her ass off, so her looks are fucked up, like all this shit, okay, so she gets really jealous, so apparently this happened to Susan, um, according to an interview with Terry. She would force feed Susan to the point where she would like, she had chipped teeth. Same thing with Sheila too. But what she would do was she would mix macaroni and cheese with lard and, uh, she would make Susan eat this right. And she would try to eat as much as she possibly could. Now, when she got full, that's when, that's when Teresa would force feed her. Okay. And if she threw up, Teresa would beat the shit out of her and make her eat her own vomit afterward. She would start burning the kids with cigarettes. She would throw knives and scissors at them. She would hold guns to their fucking heads. She made the the two brothers and the other kids hold down each kid while she beat and tortured them. You know, she would literally routinely hold guns to their head and threaten to kill them all the time, okay? Now, Noor, like I said, focused a lot of her anger uh, and abuse, like, on, on Susan and Sheila. You know, like I said in an interview, T- Terry said that her mother resented that Susan and Sheila were maturing into attractive women. And, um, you know, Teresa was losing all the attention, you know, getting older, gaining weight, all this other shit, okay? So because she starts gaining weight, Teresa Knorr believed that her fourth husband, Chet Harris, had turned Susan into a witch. So Susan was, like I said, she's getting the worst of the abuse. So after one beating, Susan ran runs away from home. Now she ends up getting picked up by police and placed in a psychiatric hospital where she's telling staff about all the shit that her mom is doing to her and her, and her brothers and sisters, just beating them, right? So they call up Teresa Norris, she shows up, she denies, like, all the abuse claims, and told the hospital staff that Susan had mental issues. The authorities did not investigate the matter, and uh, they released Susan back into her mother's custody. And her fucking mom tells her that if you thought you were abused before, just you fucking wait. They get home immediately, Um, Teresa Nor puts on a pair of leather gloves and just beats Susan with about an inch of her fucking life. She also, like I said again, forced the other children, when Teresa would get tired of beating her, she would force the other children to take turns beating her. The following weeks, Noor handcuffed Susan to her bed and ordered the other children to stand watch over her. Um, Nor refused to let Susan leave the house and forced her to drop out of school. But what she did make her do was become a prostitute at the age of 16 because they needed the fucking money. Teresa's not working some of the stories that terry tells um the youngest daughter she tells a story of when she was in the third grade uh you know she's shows her mom or her mom shows up to school while she's at recess for a parent teacher conference uh you know terry runs up hugs her mom i love you mom and her mom hugs her back and you know says oh i love you too and when they get home uh, apparently The teacher had said that Terry was telling her, meaning the teacher, that Teresa, her mother, was was beating her. So when they get home, Teresa locks Terry in a fucking deep freezer. And Terry straight up is like, I never told the teacher anything, you know, blah, blah, blah. Didn't fucking matter. Beats her ass and fucking locks her in a deep freezer. Another story is that uh, another neighbor noticed Terry's clothes were worn down one day. So, she offers the family a bunch of hand-me-down clothes to try to help out. So, Teresa thinks that Terry is running around telling people that they're poor and they need charity and shit. So, she takes her in the house, puts a rope around her neck, pulls the rope uh, over the top of the fucking door, okay? So, Terry can't go anywhere and just beats the ever-living shit out of her. For telling the neighbors that they were poor when Terry actually didn't tell them anything, uh, you know, at this point, you know, Teresa had pulled all the kids, almost all the kids out of school, almost none of them got past like an eighth grade education, and she starts teaching them at home from the Bible. Of all fucking things, okay? And she has this big board that she beats them with, literally called the Board of Education, because that's the words that it has scribbled on the fucking side of it. And that's that was their education, after about the 8th grade or so. So, in 1982, Susan Knorr became convinced that, like I said, Susan was casting spells on her to gain weight. As a result, Teresa handcuffed Susan to her bed and beat her and refused to give her food for days at a time. Susan denied doing anything to make her mother gain weight, but Teresa had become uh even angrier with Susan because she was quote unquote lying about it, so they get into this argument in this fight, and Teresa pulls out a gun and shoots Susan in the chest with a twenty two caliber pistol. Now, the bullet becomes lodged, like, right in, uh, Susan's back, but Nora would not let her get any kind of medical treatment for it. You know, she pretty much left her for dead in the family bathtub, uh, handcuffed to the soap dish. Susan ends up surviving, okay, like, Nora pretty much nursed her back to health, she would allow the other two daughters to help Susan as well, trying to basically nurse her back to health, like I said. Now, Susan did recover without receiving any professional medical treatment, and it's because Teresa Nor had had um, a little bit of experience in nursing, okay? So as soon as she gets better, Susan goes back on the street to start making some money again as a, as a 16-year-old prostitute. Now, in July of 1984, Noor and Susan got into another argument. Teresa ends up stabbing her daughter in the back with a pair of scissors. And again, Noor refused uh, to let Susan seek medical treatment. Now, apparently the stab wound wasn't that bad to where, you know, she, she made a full recovery or whatever. So a few weeks after the stabbing, Susan, who is literally like, just getting abused she's getting starved she decides to move out of the house okay so Nora agrees to let her go under one condition that Susan lets her remove the bullet from her back so it cannot be used as evidence in the event that Susan wanted to go report some kind of crime or abuse now Susan was like you know what fuck it I need out of here yes just get the fucking bullet out so she handcuffs her to the kitchen table, laying on the floor. Uh, Nor feeds her uh, some some pills and some whiskey as an anesthetic until she passes out. Uh, while Susan is unconscious, Nor has her 15-year-old son, Robert, remove the bullet with a fucking x knife. So he ends up getting the bullet out, and Teresa flushes it down the toilet. Now, Susan ends up waking up the next day and she's fucking hurting, right? And over the next couple of days, she starts, uh, developing, uh, septicemia and she becomes delirious. Now, Nora attempted to treat her with ibuprofen and antibiotics. Uh It ended up not working, and Susan's condition continued to decline. Now, she was still handcuffed under the kitchen table with no food or water. Now, one day while Teresa is out doing errands, uh, Terry did give Susan a cup of water with some sugar in it to try to, you know, give her something. Now, again, um... Teresa is fucking crazy, okay? Like, her skin starts turning yellow, her eyes start turning yellow, because apparently Jaundice had set in, she, she has this crazy fucking infection, okay? Well, Teresa thinks that the reason there's an infection, and the reason that she's delirious and all this shit, is because there's a demon inside of her. And the only way to purge this demon is to burn it out. So on July sixteenth, nineteen eighty four, Nor packed all of Susan's belongings in trash bags. She tapes her arms and legs together with duct tape, puts duct tape over her mouth, and and mind you, like Susan is in no position to be fighting. She's literally near death, wearing diapers. Okay, like. Fun. You know, she's fucking defecating all over herself and shit. And uh, she orders her sons, Robert and William, to put Susan in the car. They drove her to Squaw Valley, which is by Lake Tahoe, the Square Creek Bridge on Highway 89. And it is there where Robert and William placed her on the side of the road on top of the bags with all her belongings. And then the boys doused susan and the bags in gasoline and lit her on fire the next morning two motorists passing by see susan's still still bodies just still smoking okay an autopsy was done and it was determined that susan was still alive when she was lit on fire now the remains were in such bad shape there were no dental records no fillings the hands were burnt uh, so bad they couldn't get fingerprints, half of her face was burned off, so like there was no positive ID that could ever be made, and Susan became classified as Jane Doe number 4873 four, and she was entered into the California Department of Justice Missing Persons Database. So after Susan dies, Teresa starts directing the majority of her abuse towards her next oldest daughter, Sheila. You hear that? That's the cartoonish sound of me breaking into your house right now. I'm just kidding. Totally kidding. I don't do that stuff anymore. I'm a true crime podcaster now. One of the good guys. But, if I was going to break into your house, I would probably bet that I wouldn't want to if you had Simply Safe. So check this out. If you've been thinking about your home security, there is no better time to get it than right now because starting this week, Simply Safe Home Security is giving Mysterious Circumstances listeners exclusive deals for Black Friday. Simply Safe almost never has deals like this, they almost never do. So, if you're thinking about protecting your home, check out Simply Safe today. It has entry sensors, motion sensors, a smart lock that locks your door when you forget, video doorbells. I mean, if you're not home, they'll literally call you, you know, and say, "Hey, do you want me to check out your stuff for you?" And all kinds of stuff like that. Simply Safe has everything you need to keep your home safe. Plus 24-7 professional monitoring that will dispatch police 3.5 times faster. And for those of you who listen to true crime, trust me, response time matters. We all know that. How many cases have we heard or even read about, you know, where response time was definitely an issue? This is a very, very good thing. This is personally my favorite home security system. I use it at my place just because of the fact I'm always on the road traveling for live shows, you know, about nine months out of the year. Uh, I work a lot at my regular job. And even, you know, when I'm sleeping, it's like, I don't want anybody breaking in here, steal my computer microphone, because then all you guys are going to be mad and we can't be having any of that. All right, so check this out. Simply Safe is already the best value in home security. No questions asked. And right now, you'll get all the savings from their massive Black Friday sale. Just visit simplysafecom slash mysterious. The offer ends on Cyber Monday. Okay, that's Monday, December 2nd. So go before then. That's simplysafecom slash mysterious to get these amazing Black Friday savings. And let me tell you something. Who doesn't want savings on Black Friday? I know I do. This is perfect for true crime you guys all know you've heard the stories you've heard the podcasts you've heard the cases you've read about them simply safe is a very very good thing go check it out remember the sale ends on december 2nd which is cyber monday go check it out you won't have to worry about me creeping around your house or anybody else for that matter all right back to the show Now in May 1985, Teresa was unemployed, she was on state assistance, and to increase the household income, she forced Sheila, who was then 20 years old, into prostitution as well to support the family, Sheila was fucking horrified by this, you know what I mean, she didn't, but she didn't have the courage to, she literally did not have the courage to disobey her mom. And she ends up supposedly earning quite a bit of money, okay? Now, Teresa was very happy with this arrangement because she, because of the amount of money that she was making. And she starts allowing her to leave the house whenever she wants. She gets a little bit of liberty and a little bit of freedom. But at... You know, when she was home, she was handcuffed to the bed under the kitchen table and she was beaten and starved, uh, you know, just as the same way that she had done to Susan, you know, a year and two earlier. Now, after a few weeks, uh, Nor became angry and accused Sheila of being pregnant and contracting venereal disease, um, because Teresa Noor apparently caught it, and uh, she claimed that she caught it from Sheila, or she caught it from Sheila via the toilet seat. Now, Sheila denied, you know, the accusations, but she was handcuffed to the kitchen table. She was not allowed to use the toilet or the bathtub, and she was beaten every single fucking day until Sheila just... You know, she was taking the beatings, apparently like a fucking champ, and they started losing their effect. So, what Teresa did was she hogtied her, locked her in a hot closet with no ventilation. She was confined in this linen closet, which was 16 inches by 24 inches, with shelving. Now, if you know how big that is, like, she had no room to sit, kneel, or even rest herself, uh, Teresa, you know, forbid the other children from giving Sheila any food or water, or from even opening the door to the closet to let fresh air get in, now, there was one time that Terry, um, disobeyed her mother, her mother was out shopping, and she, she gave her a beer, you know, to, to try to do something, but, like, you know, right at the, you know, last minute, she's like trying to help her out. Uh, Teresa ended up coming home. So she had to hurry up and shove her back in that little closet again. Otherwise, she was going to get fucking beat, probably thrown in there too. Now, Terry later said, quote, mother wanted Sheila to confess. That was mother's way. Beat them until they confess. End quote. Now, to end the punishment, Sheila did confess to being pregnant and having an STD. But Teresa would not let her out of the fucking closet because she said that Sheila was lying to her. Okay, fucking crazy, right? Three days later, on June 21st, 1985, there was a loud thump and then silence. Sheila died of dehydration and starvation. Teresa left Sheila's body in the closet for an additional three days before discovering that Sheila was dead. Once again, Nora ordered her sons, William and Robert, to dispose of Sheila's body, which had begun to decompose and it was starting to stink really fucking bad, okay? T- Terry, at this point, was beaten and forced to clean up the mess in the closet because she was urinating and, um, the, uh, the decomposition had, uh, you know, made a mess in that closet. So the two boys, uh, William and Robert Jr., uh, put Sheila's body in a two-foot-by-two-foot two cardboard box, carried it out to the car, and dumped it in the weeds at Martis Creek Campground on Interstate 80. Sheila's body was discovered by a husband and wife who were fishing just a few hours after it had been uh, dropped off. There, the only evidence, you know, it was a body dump. You know, when they got there, that was that was what they had determined. You know, she did not die there. The body was just dumped there. But the body was never positively identified and was classed as Jane Doe number 6607-85. Now, the only clue that the authorities had to work with was apparently the box Uh, was for popcorn cups, like cups that popcorn was served in. There was some writing on the box, and that was it. Well, William, come to find out, William actually worked at a movie theater. Because the two boys, uh, William and Robert, they weren't treated like this. Like, they were allowed to come and go as they pleased. They were allowed to have jobs. They were allowed to have friends. It was just mainly the girls that got this abuse. The teeth were chipped in the front as well. That was some other evidence from uh, the force feedings. And they did lift fingerprints. That were unknown from some of the stuff and from uh, the I don't I can't necessarily the box because it was fucking cardboard, but uh, they turned up no matches. Now, even though Sheila's body had been removed from the closet, the smell of decomposition was so fucking bad that Teresa started worrying that the smell and some of the evidence was gonna get her caught. So she's very conscious about what's going on, right? So. Terry, at this time, starts getting, you know, like, almost immediately after Sheila died, Terry starts getting fucking beat, too. And she starts getting handcuffed. She starts getting the same abuse that her two older sisters got. And she fucking comes straight up, like, tells her mom, she's like, listen, you're not gonna fucking hit me anymore. I wanna leave now. And her mom says, okay, you can leave on one condition. I want you to burn this apartment down to get rid of any evidence that can tie me to your older sister's death. So on September 30th, 1986, Noor moved the family belongings out of the home and ordered Terry to burn down the apartment to destroy all of the physical evidence. So during that night, Terry Noor dumped three containers of barbecue lighter fluid on the apartment floor and set it on fire. Uh, the fire uh, was quickly reported. It didn't do very much damage. Uh, the closet in which Sheila had died in was not damaged at all. After, after Teresa got arrested, like investigators literally went to the fucking apartment like this. She ends up getting arrested like nine fucking years later. Okay. Which is a crazy story all in itself. And they go, um, they go and remove the subfloor from the closet to test it for physical evidence. Um, now after they leave the Sacramento apartment, uh, Teresa Nor goes into hiding. Um, her, her children who were still alive, uh, who were then of legal age, pretty much just severed their fucking ties. They're like, we're fucking out of here. We're done with you. Um, Terry, who was 16 years old at the time, um, she left, she used Sheila's identification card to pass her, pass herself off as a legal adult. So she literally is like fucking done, right? Right. Uh, The only child that remained with Teresa was Robert Jr., who at the time was 19 years old. Now, Teresa and Robert Jr. end up moving to Las Vegas and pretty much uh, attempted to to stay under the radar. Now, after escaping from her mother in 1989, Terry Knorr attempted to report her sister's murders to the Utah police. Any fucking lawyers... But she she told the story to several lawyers. She told it to her fucking therapist. Okay, uh, they all dismissed her stories as pure fiction. Not one fucking person believed the shit that she had to tell them. They were like, "You're fucking out of your mind. There's no way this is true, right?" So, Terry is a young adult. She's in and out of jail for various charges. You know, she's seen as a troublemaker. Nobody believes her story. She literally tries telling anybody that will listen for nine fucking years about her mom and killing her older sisters and all the fucking abuse that they took as kids and nobody believed her. So, in November uh, 1991, uh, Robert Jr. is pretty desperate for money. He tries to rob a North Nellis Boulevard bar in Las Vegas. Ended up killing the bartender. He uh, ended up getting a 16-year prison sentence out of that. So Teresa gets fucking nervous and scared. And uh, she ends up moving to Salt Lake City, Utah. Okay. Now, on October 28, 1993... Terry Knorr is watching America's Most Wanted, and for the last several years, this shit's been eating away at her, and she decides to contact America's Most Wanted, um, and they told her to contact detectives in Placer County, California, which is where Susan's body was, was found, and there was one guy that she talked to. Fucking God bless this dude right here. A police sergeant named Ron Perea uh, took the call. And Terry says, you know, she's like, I was just balling, just telling him all this shit. And he took her very, very seriously and started to open an investigation. Okay, now he interviewed Terry in person and they were able to establish facts that left no doubt saying, okay, this fucking girl is is right. And then they start tying together, you know, some of the shit with the two bodies that were Jane Doe's. And uh, because Terry's sitting there telling details of the sisters' deaths and all this shit, okay? So on November 4th, 1993, just a week later, Teresa Knorr's son, William, was arrested in Woodland, California, where he had been living and working... Uh, Robert Nord Jr. was charged with his sister's murders while he was serving a 16 year sentence in an Eli, Nevada prison for the, like I said, the 1991 murder of a Las Vegas bartender. Um, Both resisted the questioning initially, um, but they did later confess about their roles in the murders of their two sisters on November 10th, 1993. Teresa was traced to Salt Lake City, Utah, where she had been arrested for drunk driving five days earlier. Now, she was aware of the investigation, and she was getting ready to run. She had withdrawn $4,000 from her bank account, and she had told her boss that she was leaving town, okay? But when Sergeant John Fitzgerald came knocking at the door, she answered, and Teresa Knorr was arrested at her home in Salt Lake City, uh, at the time of her arrest, she was using her maiden name of Cross, uh, she was, and she was working as a caretaker for her landlord's 86 year old mother. When the landlord found out about all this shit, he said, quote, I can't say anything bad about her. She was there 24 hours a day for the last 15 months. We consider her part of a family. End quote. Now, if that tells you something about how manipulative this Teresa Knorr is. That's some fucked up shit, right? So on November 15th, 1993, Nor was charged with two counts of murder, two counts of conspiracy to commit murder, and two special circumstances charges, multiple murder and murder by torture. Now, Nor pleaded not guilty at first, and she made a deal with prosecution uh, after she found out that her son, Robert Jr., had agreed to testify against her in exchange for a reduced sentence. She pleaded guilty on one condition, and that was that she be spared the death penalty. So, on October 17th, 1995, Teresa Knorr was sentenced to two consecutive life sentences. She is incarcerated at California Institution for Women in Chino and she will be eligible for parole in 2027 when she should be about 80 years old, roughly. William Knorr was sentenced to probation and ordered to undergo therapy for participating in his sister Sheila's murder. In exchange for his testimony, the prosecution dropped all charges against Robert Knorr Jr., Except for one count of being an accessory after the fact in relation to Sheila's murder. Robert Knorr Jr. pleaded guilty to the charge uh, and was sentenced to three years in prison, which was served concurrently with his 16 year sentence uh, for the unrelated 1991 murder of that fucking bartender. And it should be noted that when these boys originally were going to testify in court, they literally. I shit you not, grown-ass fucking men. When they knew that their mother was going to be present in that courtroom, they literally almost decided not to fucking do it. Because they did not even want to fucking see her. That's how fucking much they feared this woman, okay? Following Nora's arrest, police decided to reopen the murder case of her sister, Rosemary Norris. Norris was found strangled at the end of a dead road in Placer County in 1983. After she went grocery shopping in Sacramento, now they did later determine that Teresa was not involved in Norris's death. Um, Teresa Nor married twice and eventually, or Terry Nor, um, after she moved out, she ended up married, getting married twice. She moved to uh, Utah where she lived with her second husband. She worked at a grocery. She worked at a grocery store, okay, and she was a cashier in the same fucking neighborhood where her mother lived and worked before her arrest. And she said that there were a couple times that she would run into her. She said there was at least one time where she was driving down the road and saw her mom fucking walking. And I don't know how she did it, but she's like, no, she's like, uh, you know, I pulled over and was like, hi, mom. And they ended up getting drunk together that fucking night you know and and teresa she said that teresa her mother still carried that 22 caliber pistol that she used to you know fucking shoot her older sister with still carried that fucking thing in her purse right terry nor unfortunately um ended up dying and uh she had uh lived in missouri at the time she died uh i believe of a heart attack on december 8th 2011 at, at a very uh, young age Now, in 2016, Robert Nort Jr. was sentenced to eight years in a federal prison after pleading guilty to charges of distribution and possession of child pornography. His prior convictions for murder and accessory to the murder after the fact were cited in his sentencing. So, yeah, she pretty much fucked her kids up pretty good. But that right there is the story of Teresa motherfucking nor kind of wish she would have gotten the death penalty to be honest with you so hope you enjoyed I'll talk to you guys later